0: Welcome to Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You, the podcast that focuses on Christians that are active in everyday life. Join in as we speak to everyone from successful business owners to educators to athletes about their faith and how it helps them reach out and revolutionize those around them to do the same. And now get ready to roar with your host, the voice of manifestation, John Fuller. Hey, Nation, John Fuller here, and I am fired up. For you that don't know this, we are going to be doing our very first conference in Amarillo, Texas, Sunday, July 28th, from 1 p.m. to 10 p.m. Yes, I did say 1 to 10. It is going to be an enormous long day. So I want to give you the lineup. We're going to have Christy Austin. She's going to be speaking about kingdom transformation in the community. We have Bob Hassan who also will be talking about people discovering how to honor can transform people's lives in their organizations. We're going to have Michael McIntyre from Dallas. He's helping people change mindsets and going to the next level in life. And then yours truly, I'm going to be releasing my very first, first, I said first, actually second book, and how to speak God's words over your life and see radical transformation. And then here's the best part. Our friend, Sean Bowles, is going to be coming in and wrapping up the entire conference. So that being said, I'm going to hand it over to yours truly. Sean, take it away, my friend. I can't believe you said I'm the best part. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be talking about hearing God's voice for you your world, around you, especially business leaders, entrepreneurs, we're going to talk about hearing God's voice for real, for real, like we need to, like you have to be a prophet if you're going to go in the marketplace, you have to hear from God. And so we're going to talk about, and when I say prophet, I'm in mean the weird old charismatic gospel, I'm saying, we have to be a friend of God to know what he wants. And he He planned and pre-planned all these industries and all these things, our whole city, our whole nation, way before we ever entered into it, way before we ever manifested. So how do we hear His a plan? and bring alignment between was in his original heart and what we see today. And so we're going to, we're going to talk about discerning his heart, knowing his heart, hearing his heart, and it's going to be revolutionary. It's going to be great. All right, Rural Nation. So check it out. Get on areyoureal.org. You can get on Eventbrite. It is the Kingdom Conference. Get your tickets. We're running some discounts. You get some of Sean's e-course. You get his book, my book. And uh, anyways, it's going to be a phenomenal time. So please get on there now, get tickets while you can and have a blessed day. Hey Roar Nation, John Fuller here and I am fired up for today's interview talking with Frank Viola on Regrace. I'm excited about this book because it is talking about uh, what I would call like bipolarism of Christianity because I think so many times we shun people for their beliefs as far as if they believe in the rapture or don't. Uh, or how much grace they can have. There's so many different topics in Christianity. And unfortunately, it's divided the body, and, uh, which is horrific in my opinion. Uh, I would love to see that gap closed. So I believe that Frank is doing a fantastic job of bringing that uh, to the light and showing people uh, what I think is some of the stupidity in Christianity for us even doing that. But anyways, that being said, my new friend, Frank Viola, are you ready
1: to roar? I'm ready to do whatever you want, Johnny. Roar, bark, hiss, grunt—you name it. Woohoo! Come on. <laughs> All right. So, Frank,
0: why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself for uh, some of my people, and my tribe, who don't know who you are? I know you're a best-selling author. You've written a ton of books. Why don't you kind of just talk a, a thirty-thousand-foot view of like who you are and what you're doing right now?
1: all right right, will do well when i was a young dumb single man at age 16 i had a head-on collision with jesus christ and it wrecked me and uh, my heart was hot for the lord i wanted to know him and everything about him and so from the ages of 16 to 23 i got involved in numerous churches movements parachurch organizations i was probably attending 50 bible studies a week uh that's an exaggeration but many many bible studies and when i was 23 john i experienced a crisis and that crisis is best captured in the phrase there must be more Mm. i had in my heart in my bones i knew there had to be more to the lord than what i was being exposed to and what i was being taught i knew that there had to be more to the scriptures Uh, uh, Over against what I was being taught and I knew there had to be more to this thing called church Uh, And I had been around the block in many different uh, churches and denominations and so forth But just this this cry there had to be more there must be more than this And so that led me in an odyssey to find out what that more was and so consequently I started to just do some writing these were the early days of the internet. They didn't have blogs at the time. I did some writing. I started to uh, put pamphlets together, send them, to fr- send them to my friends about the discoveries I was making. And uh, thankfully, a Christian publisher, a major publishing house, discovered me and in 2008 uh, published me some of the work I was doing, some of the controversial stuff I was discovering. And since then, I've published over 20 books, all of which to seek. Uh, to solve problems that Christians face, especially those who know in their hearts, there's gotta be more than this. Man, that's exciting. So let's go
0: back to you. I, I think it's fascinating that obviously, no, I don't think it's fascinating that you, there was more. I, I get that uh, your that drive and Hey, what is God doing? But I think it's fascinating that you started making pamphlets and that you were writing about it. So what spurred that? Were you like writing in high school and college? Like, that just kind of naturally came, or you just felt compelled to do it?
1: Yeah, this is uh this is in the years twenty ages twenty-three and on. And so in my twenties and early thirties, I just started to write my thoughts and what I was discovering and the problems that I was facing as a Christian, and then the solutions I was stumbling into, or those that the Lord was giving me. And so I just started to, you know, write these things and and I'd go to you know, the print shop and just have them make little pamphlets and tracks. And uh, I'd send them out to friends and then, you know, their friends started to uh, get a hold of them. And and then one person said, why don't you put this in a book? And I said, I don't know how to write a book. I have no idea. And so I just sort of would staple <laughs> would staple a lot of these things together and send them out. And then the emergence of the Internet uh, was going on at the same time. And back then they didn't have blogs. They just had homepages. And so I developed a homepage and I would put my writings on that. And uh, that generated a lot of interest because a lot of the things that I was discovering, especially about church as we know it, um, just raising questions about why do we do this and why do we do that? It was resonating with a lot of people. Okay. And so a major Christian publishing house found the work that I was doing. And then George Barna found what I was writing. Uh, at the time, he was the most quoted Christian in the world. And in 2008, we released a book together. I did most of the writing. He did some of the research called Pagan Christianity uh, Tyndale house published it, John, and it created a firestorm, man. It was vilified. It was venerated. It was that's hammered also. and hailed. <laughs> uh, and we were getting hate mail from all, all quarters because it was touching lots of sacred cows. Uh, we were even getting hate mail from Amish people. <laughs> uh, a, you know, you're doing a good job. When you got that. <laughs> we were getting bodily threats from, uh, From uh, Mennonites. So anyway, um, but the point is, is that it really created quite a stir when pagan Christianity came out, but really was raising questions like, why do we do what we do every Sunday morning in the typical church? And where did these things come from? And our assessment was they didn't come from the New Testament. They didn't come from Jesus or the apostles. They came from other sources. And uh, so that was the beginning, John, of a whole series of books that raised questions about church as we know it what was the new testament church can we recapture the power and passion and, and and organic experience of that and then also i wrote i began writing books about the kingdom of god and just addressing you know the the christian life you know how do we live the christian life so much of what we're taught is, and my experience anyway, is, is cliches. It doesn't really work, <laughs> so yeah. much of what we're taught. You know what I mean? And so this, this quest of there's got to be more than this has just led me on this journey. And as I've made discoveries, then I've put them in books, you know, and, uh, and, and hopefully helping uh, the Lord's people along the way.
0: So I find it interesting when you talked about pagan Christianity and you talk about getting all the hate mail. Um <laughs> This is what's funny. So when I interviewed, uh, Paul Young from the shack, you talk about getting, I mean, people love him or hate him or don't care obviously, but it was interesting to me because I'd never gotten hate mail before because mostly my show is about purpose and stuff like that. We don't hit, always hit topics that are controversial, but he raised, I I got hate mail from people who I knew Mm -hmm. and and some I got pages. And when I say pages, I mean like, 10, 12 pages of people writing about all the things that were wrong with his, his theology and his writing and how dare I even interview him Mm. and all that stuff. And I thought, and I thought you're missing the point. Like, where, where's the love? Like I get, maybe you don't agree with him. I'm like, what, what do you have kids, Frank? Yes, sir. Okay. So if you think about this, do all your kids kind of view you a little bit differently? Maybe skewed and maybe even skewed. Like I think about my three kids. So I think about that in the body of Christ. None of us are all going to have the exact same viewpoint of God. It's it's some is right. And some is skewed. And and I think about how we demonize mm. our brothers and sisters in Christ, because we, they see God just a little bit different as far as maybe love and perspective. And I can't help, but think and and this is coming to a question, but when people were sending those emails to you and that stuff, like in your mind, what, what have you seen with these people? Because they're missing the point of love. Now I'm not talking about, yeah. uh, obviously there's some basic Christian views. Like we, we need to have Jesus in our heart. We have to accept him as truth. I mean, there's some very foundational things, but there's a lot of things that I think are gray area. And people get so hell bent over that they will send you personally
1: hate mail. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's toxic because here's the thing, you know, we do have the orthodox tenets of the faith, right? Uh, Jesus Christ. He is the son of God. He is God and man. You know, he is the savior of the world, et cetera, et cetera. He rose again for the dead. But then we have all of these things that are non-essentials and you know, what's, what's problematic is that when Christians make non-essentials, essentials yes. and they begin to, uh, draw these dividing lines that if you don't agree with my doctrines and my theology or my politics, right. Yeah. And we're going to brand you with the H word. You're a heretic. And a lot of what I found, interestingly enough, at least when pagan Christianity came out, most of the hate mail came from people who never read the book. <laughs> that's even yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly uh you know and so i i got one that's um he, he said something like you know um well frank i haven't read your book yet but i just want you to know that i completely disagree with it and you're off base and da 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 da, da. and so i responded and i said something like his name was Joe, and I said, "Dear Joe, thank you for your note. Uh, thank you for your email. I just want you to know I did not read your email, but uh, I I, th- I disagree with it. And you know, in other words, I was saying the same thing. I was I was making a joke out of it. And oh I yeah, think this is this is one of the things that God's people, uh, I think, really need to get a hold of. Okay, and that is this: many Christians take themselves way too seriously, and when you take yourself too seriously, you become toxic. Okay, Jesus Christ had a sense of humor. All right. And he was God. Okay, (laughs) And so humor comes from the Lord. And 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 so many Christians, man, it's it's as if they were baptized in pickle juice. (laughs) OK, they they can't laugh. They can't smile. And they take themselves so seriously that um, they will just rake a person over the coals without ever questioning um, this great statement or this great thought, and that is every single one of us has changed our views along the way. Mm, every yeah. single one of us knows in part, I'm quoting Paul in First Corinthians, we all know in part, right? And if I disagree with someone, look, <clears throat> I, I have disagreed with myself, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I, I made the statement that if doctrinal perfection were the standard of fellowship, I would have had to disfellowship myself, uh, from the kingdom of God 35 years ago, because my views have changed. And if anyone is honest, their views have changed as well. We all are in process. And so really what Christians really need to do is learn how to communicate and to do it in a loving way with an open mind. You know, John, if I see you say something that I disagree with, right. Um, I have two choices, you know. One, I can ignore it. Two, I could uh, write you off as a heretic and block you on Facebook because I didn't like yeah. what you wrote. <laughs> that's that's the modern excommunication for the Christian is blocking people on Facebook. Uh, or, or I can ask you questions. Hey, John, you know, I noticed that you say this, and are you saying such and such? Just to get clear if I'm really understanding you, and then if I am. Then I can say, well, how does this belief of yours fit into this scripture? How do you how do you mesh this with this this text here? Uh, It seems to contradict it, but I have an open mind. I want to hear what you have to say. And that benefits both of us, because, hey, if I can challenge you uh, to reassess your viewpoint and you see that maybe you were off. I have just helped you in the same way. If you can show me that you have an insight that I don't see clearly or it's something that I've missed, well then you're helping me. But God's people, by and large, don't do that. We pull out the swords and we begin chopping off ears. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And uh, this is a great, uh, it's, a, it's a great blight on, on the witness of Christ. Because of all people, we are to love one another, even amid our disagreements. And that's what the book Regrace is really all about. And it's trying to communicate to the Lord's people that, we can be civil uh, and we can be loving in, in the midst of disagreements, no matter what they are. Yeah. You know, it's funny. The other, uh, I said the other day, within the
0: last month, I was reading, um, I was going through some, some just thoughts of things that have been done towards me in some kind of hurts and some stuff. And it was just kind of processing it through in prayer. And the Lord, uh, as, as, I just, I really just felt the father impressed on me. So, you know, what does love look like? As a brother and sister in Christ. And I thought, okay, well, I need to go to first Corinthians 13. Mm. So I open it up and I read it and love is patient. It's kind, uh, keeps no record of wrong. And I start going through all those things. and, And I really just felt the father's heart saying, okay, so if you take every situation and you apply, uh, first Corinthians chapter 13 to that situation, And how you feel towards that person, whether you disagree, whether you've been wrong, maybe you're right, it doesn't matter. And we're called to love. And if I love this person, am I being patient, kind, am I keeping a record of wrong and all that? And, oh, my gosh, Frank, you talk about just jack you up. Now, granted, I've been been saved for 20 years. I know these things. But sometimes, you know, we have to go full circle. And the Lord brought me to that scripture. And I thought it was so painful, but yet freeing because you know, my job is to love this person, whether I'm wrong or I'm right. Am I Mm -hmm. being patient? Am I being kind? Am I being forgiving? Oh dude. It it was like going to the dentist that morning. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anyways, that was, that was my recent uh, Mm -hmm. uh, thought on that. Just because I think it applies to what we're talking about is, you know, when we disagree and we're talking about regrace, when we go back to that scripture and say, do I love? Do I love this person? If I'm called to love, am I loving this person right now? And in the majority of the time, for myself, I'd say no.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a wonderful, uh, a wonderful story, and I want to add something to it that's personal yeah. to me. Um, in that passage, it it says uh, in some of the translations, "Love thinks no evil." Mm. Okay, and what that means in effect is that we are if we're walking in love, if we're walking in Jesus Christ, we're going to think the best about the intentions of others, especially when it comes to fellow Christians. Right? So it's one thing to judge an action. It's one thing to make an assessment on a belief. It's another thing to impute motives to a person's heart. Yes. It's a, it's a totally different thing to um, judge their intentions and to think the worst of them. And when a person does that, okay? So for example, it's one thing I I can maybe read something you've written, John. I say, you know, I don't agree with that. It's quite another thing to say, well, John doesn't know the Lord, or John is a prideful person, or John wants attention, or John, now I'm starting to judge your motives. And you know, this is an interesting thing that I've learned. When a person imputes evil motives to the hearts of other people, what they're doing is they, re- they are revealing what's in their own hearts. Mm, that's good. Because, because when we judge uh, motives of another person, we are projecting what's in our hearts onto them. And if the Lord's people can get a hold of this, it will change the way they view others. So love never thinks evil. It always thinks the best. And this, is, this comes down to what Jesus himself said in Matthew seven twelve treat others the way you want to be treated. And on this hangs all the law and the prophets. In other words, all of the scripture, all the commands of God are fulfilled in that one statement. And that really is the act of love, is how do I want to be treated if someone disagrees with me? Well, I don't want them imputing evil motives to my heart. I don't want them cutting me off without asking me questions. Well, then that's how I'm to treat other people when I disagree with them to ask them questions, to think the best of them. And uh, boy, if the Lord's people did this, if we all did this, man, the world would look and say, hey, these Christians, even when they disagree, they love each other and they got something we don't have. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's good. You know what I was thinking about, Frank, when, when you were talking about that is um, kind of a, a spiritual dashboard. So when you think about, obviously, when you sit in your car, there's so many different components in your car, but there's some main things, you know, how, your speed, you mm-hmm. know, if you have gas, um, there's a couple fluid deals on there that come on. But out of all the things, there's only about five things on your dashboard, even though there's hundreds of things going on in your motor, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I was thinking about when you said, you know, things no evil. Uh, is it, part of that scripture. And you know, it's such a, it's, it should be a red engine light for us to when, <laughs> when our thoughts start going that direction to say, this is demonic. This is not from the Lord. Yeah, And and, and it's okay to have those thoughts because they came in and you know, the, the scripture says we have fiery darts that come in, but recognizing it, Hey, these aren't healthy. These aren't good. This is, this is a red engine light. I need to change my thoughts towards this person and, and, and really ask good questions. Father, how do you see this person? What yeah. is your love towards this person? And start changing our perspectives of people by asking the right
1: questions and recognizing we got a, a red engine light on. Yeah, that, that's great. And and he, even in that passage before um, Jesus made that statement, treat others the way you want to be treated, uh, this fulfills the law and the prophets. He gave the illustration uh, of what it means to judge someone. And, you know, he said, judge not lest you be judged. And then he gave the analogy, basically saying, you know, you are uh, concerned about the piece of sawdust in your brother's eye when you have a telephone pole sticking in your own. (laughs) Yes. And, uh, And what's interesting about that is that piece of sawdust that we perceive in our brother's eye, all right, That piece of sawdust came from the log in our own eye and this gets back to the projection Whatever we have in our heart if we start judging intentions We are projecting what's in us onto them That piece of sawdust came from the telephone pole in our own eye And so none of us want our intentions to be judged None of us want people to impute evil motives to us right so then This gets back to what Jesus said, treat others the way you want to be treated. Always think the best of their intentions. And uh, I I think this is critical for the Lord's people because a lot of what's going on when people cut each other off, when they uh, act ungraciously to each other, when they become belligerent over disagreements, it's because they're looking beyond the belief to the person's heart and they're making heart judgments. And only Jesus Christ can see the heart. Brothers yeah. and sisters, I don't know what's in your heart and you don't know what's in mine. So let's extend some grace and think the best. And that's really what walking in love means at, at the end of the day, treating others the way we want to be treated. And I, I think this would solve so many problems in, in the body of Christ if if we flesh this out.
0: Amen. I agree with that. OK, so before we jump into regrace, I do want to ask I want to back up um, a little bit on questions. So. At what point, Frank, did you realize, like, hey, I'm an, I'm an author or a writer? Did you kind of have that moment where you're like, hey, I could make a career out of this. I enjoy this. And talk a little bit about the process of that for people who are maybe trying to come into with, or, or find purpose in their life.
1: Yeah, well, for me, I can tell you how it works for me. Uh, and I'll break this up into two parts. I guess the first part has to do with you know why i have written uh, what i have written um what happens to me is i have a burden to release i have a, a passion uh to get out of me uh, there is something that i have seen that's helped me a, a problem that's uh, been solved in my own life but i want to get out uh to help others right that would be the intention and and what happens is the pain of keeping it in outweighs the pain of sitting down and writing it out That's because good. it's a very it's a very hard process you know uh, writing a book is is opening a vein <laughs> uh, I mean it really takes a lot out of you on every level and uh, and so consequently you know to keep that message inside of me that pain has now exceeded the the uh the difficulty it takes to write a book and so that's when i launch it to get it out of me the other thing that um happens when i write a book is i first look and see if the book had already been written okay um so i do research uh you know last year i i I wrote a book and i call it my signature work it's called insurgents reclaiming the gospel of the kingdom well there have been many many books written on the kingdom of god but this actually focuses on what jesus called the gospel of the kingdom what is that gospel um and so john i looked i searched i i did my amazon study and yeah. and, and seen what was out there i did interlibrary loan and i wanted to see if the book that i i wanted to read was uh, in existence and i found that it wasn't so so i write the book that i want to read myself but that doesn't exist you see yeah. uh, because there's so many books out there I mean hundreds and that well thousands and millions and actually I think there's thirteen million books on Amazon Wow and uh, so many of them though even in the Christian space they just repeat what other people have said you know what I mean there's very there are very few books that are new and fresh and take a new perspective or a new look at a subject most of it's regurgitations of what's already out there so I write the book that I myself want to read um, but that doesn't exist so that's part one of, 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 uh, the answer to your question. Part two, though, is how I found out that this is what I'm supposed to do was in the feedback I was receiving. And two things happened. Um, when I put out pagan Christianity, which really was the first significant book I had written and published. Thanks to Tyndale. Uh, And by the way, this is interesting. Um, if you get the book, pagan Christianity, boys and girls who are listening, um, you will find that there is a disclaimer at the beginning written by the publisher. (laughs) That's epic. (laughs) Which never happens. (laughs) Yeah. They were, they were getting so much heat from the people who were doing the editing of the book that they said, we have to put a disclaimer on it. And, uh, so I don't think you'll ever find that from another publisher. (laughs) Anyway, I thought it was hilarious. So, so, uh, but basically the feedback was this, uh, the the hate mail, notwithstanding, and by the way, it wasn't that much hate mail. Uh, the 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 emails and the letters that George Barn and I received, the people thanking us for writing it, even from pastors, okay, and seminary professors, far outweighed the negative mail we got. But here were the two main things that were said. Number one, you have given me green light permission to feel things that I thought may have been wrong. And now I'm liberated to feel those things and to realize that maybe the Lord was behind those feelings. Okay. That's good. So it gave them permission to question things that, you know, were sacrosanct or sacrosanct. I can't even say the word here sacred, right? It gave them permission to ask questions that they thought were perhaps wrong to ask. Okay. That's number one. Number two, The second thing that I got was this statement. Um, This book has given me language to articulate things that have been in my heart for years. I just didn't know how to say them. Mm. And so what my work tends to do is it gives people, and this is not just with pagan Christianity, it's with every other book I've written, it gives people language to articulate what has been in their heart for years they just didn't know it was was in their hearts you know what i mean it, it, it was never identified and the second thing is it, it sets the lord's people free from all sorts of bondages that has kept them uh suppressed in various areas and so there's a liberating uh, a liberating effect that occurs and a lot of it has to do with seeing jesus christ in a new fresh powerful way In ways that that people have not encountered him before and so that's sort of the thread that runs through a lot of my work and so John basically seeing the feedback from people you know early on I realized hey you know I I need to keep doing this because what has helped me personally is helping other people and so that's why I want to get the message out whenever I encounter a problem and find a solution that's not just for me it's selfish just to keep it to myself uh, it's unselfish to share it with others. so so that's really um, that's really the conclusion that I made.
0: yeah, that's good. I, what i what I my kind of takeaway from that, what I like is that it, on your journey, and your process of discovery of who the Father is and things you've learned in Christianity is <clears throat> you're giving back and be and when you in a sense, it's a sacrifice. So as you sacrifice that or give it back, um it's allowing other people to discover the father for who he is ask the right questions give people permission and stuff and it's setting people free and in the process of that it's almost kind of like you finding your purpose uh, of giving back into the community
1: yeah no that's a that's a great way to put it it's 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 along the lines of what paul said in uh, second corinthians you know that the comfort that we receive from the lord is designed and the purpose behind it is so that we can comfort others with that same comfort that the Lord has comforted us so so that's really what it is and and let me just say this because I think a lot of people may have a misunderstanding or a misperception um there is no author on the planet who writes books uh to make money because there really is no money in it <laughs> unless you're Joel Osteen or Joyce Meyer or Rick Warren or someone of that stature, yeah. you uh, you're not going to make a lot of money writing books. Okay. Uh, the, the typical book that sells the author is going to get uh, well, if it's an ebook, it'll be a lot less than this, but if it's a paperback or hardback about a dollar a book, Wow. And that's not a whole lot of money. And, no, you uh, so, better sell a
0: lot of books. Yeah,
1: that's why that, that's why there's a phrase, starving author, and it is true. <laughs> so, you know, I supplement my income doing other things. I mean, we talked about this speaking off, or, off air. Yeah, well, and for me mainly, uh, my, my main income comes from teaching other people how to write books and how to get published and how to promote their books in ways that they hit You know where they can hit a bestseller list i have a every year i do a a training called scribe and uh it's to train aspiring authors how to write book from a to z how to get it published and uh, how to promote it in effective ways you know given all my experience and so forth so that that's how i uh make my income mainly uh, is through trainings like that but not writing books writing books that's more of a service, you know, to the body of Christ and to others than, uh, than an income stream.
0: I like, okay, th- this is really good that you said that. So I just think about it from this perspective. Is, so sometimes our gift, what we're called to do, giving back, uh, in essence, like for you being an author, it helps people project them on a different level um, as far as thought perspective. Uh, it's challenging we could say maybe that is part of your purpose in life. Okay. Yes. But, but a lot of times people think that our purpose has to provide a hundred percent of our income Mm -hmm. or that is if, if it's not uh, producing income or we can't make a living at it, then we're not living in our purpose. And I Mm -hmm. like that you said that because what you said is is you supplement your income. Uh, It made me think of Paul making tents is you're helping people write and doing it is, is, you know, is another income, but really it could be what you're called to do is to help people set their minds free of discovering uh, the father in different ways, but you make your income somewhere else. And, yep. and I think it really good that you said that because a lot of people don't realize that like even Paul, man, he wrote almost the majority of the new Testament um, wrote it. It, it means it, found just a, a father of our, our part of our faith and yet, he made an income selling tents. Yep. Perfect, I, perfect example. Perfect yeah. example. So I think it's great. Okay. So let's jump into Regrace. I got a couple of questions. It's fun. Why don't you talk about a little bit why you wrote Regrace?
1: Well, I tell you, um, the story is interesting. Um, basically, for years, I have been on social media and I have noticed that it's It's a viper pit, John. Uh, Oh, yes. (laughs) Facebook especially. I've watched Christians slaughter each other on Facebook. I've watched them block one another. Somebody writes uh, a post on their Facebook feed where they're weighing into some theological issue or political issue. And all of a sudden, uh, other Christians, their Facebook friends, quote unquote, are hyperventilating and uh, roasting them over a slow spit just because they disagree. And I I just watch the carnage. The vitriol gets worse and worse every year. Um, You know, we know the world can't agree on anything, uh, but Christians, I mean, really, we have to treat each other in such belligerent ways. Um, You know, where where is civility? You know, where is loving each other amid our disagreements? Where's the art of... Um, asking questions instead of jumping to conclusions and imputing evil motives and all that. So uh, this has been stewing in me for a long time. And I've really noticed that God's people, so many of us, we don't know how to have a conversation without getting uptight or hostile. Uh, especially when we disagree with something, right? So during this time, I wrote an article about Martin Luther, and I was just highlighting some of Martin Luther's Luther's beliefs that a lot of Christians aren't aware of. And by the way, I love Martin Luther. I think he was a great man of God, but he held to some views that were uh, really shocking. And uh, so I wrote this article on my blog, frankbiola.org, and of all people, Rick Warren um, found it, and he wrote me privately and he said, Frank, he said, you know, um, I get a lot of hate mail. I have rumors about me that aren't true. Um, and I know this to be a fact. Uh, there, there, there's, there's rumors on Rick Warren that make The Walking Dead seem real, folks. Awesome. Uh, but they're not true. OK. <laughs> and um, so, so he said, I think you should write. A series of articles on your blog about the shocking beliefs of the great Christians. And the reason for it would be that Christians would see that all of the great Christians that shaped the evangelical faith, all the great Christians that preceded us, all the people who we deem as heroes, whether it's Billy Graham, C.S. Lewis, Charles Spurgeon, John Calvin, etc all of them did not see things perfectly that despite the great contributions they gave to the church, despite the fact that God used them, they still had blind spots. Hmm. They didn't get everything right. And, and Rick, Rick said I, the hope would be that this series would calm Christians down when they disagree with each other. They wouldn't be so quick to cut one another off. And, uh, and so I thought the idea was brilliant. Okay. Yeah. And, and folks, whether you like Rick Warren or not, um, you know, he didn't write the book. OK, he gave me the idea. And uh, so I give him credit for that. Uh, or or you can blame him or you can thank him, <laughs> depending on what you think. But I wrote the series. It went viral. You know, people were really helped by it. People were challenged by it. And it's fascinating, too. And, and another thing I did as well, we talked about humor earlier and how <laughs> Jesus was humorous. He had a humorous side to him. I made it really funny, okay, so people laughed while they were reading it, and, uh, and so the series was out for a number of years, and then uh, I thought, you know what, it'd be better to put this in a book so it can be widely distributed, and I can expand it and give people some practical handles on how to disagree in a civil Christ-like Christ honoring way, you know, how do you actually do that? And so that's, that's the origin of re grace. And as you know, from reading it, it has a lot of humor in it. Uh, So it's, it's not just a stale, you know, one of my critiques of historical books is, and I love history and I read history quite a bit, but history books are tend to be very dry. Okay. That's the first thing. The other thing is, uh, they're like Antonina's nightgown. They cover everything but touch nothing. Uh, they, in other words, there's no practical edge to them. You know, there's no practical handles. And so, what I wanted to do is make this a fun read. I pepper it with humor, and also I give a lot of practical handles and practical exercises as to how we can disagree in an, in, in agreeable ways and Christ honoring ways. Hopefully, we'll make a dent in the problem. So, uh, so yeah, that's the origin of the book. Okay, let's talk about
0: some of them. I found it fascinating. Had uh, definitely some fun reading about some of these, and we'll go into uh, Spurgeon, uh, who I liked. That's uh, obviously caught my attention. Um, thought it was. I just you know when I read these guys, I cannot get over how many. Uh, one being Spurgeon. Um, how many sermons and books and just stuff these men wrote like it is just mind-boggling when you think about the amount of people they reached like even if you or i reached as many people as they did on social let's just say social media okay mm-hmm. we would be considered quote unquote influencers or we'd be whatever you want to call it, big name whatever okay these mm-hmm. guys didn't even have social media we're talking way back in the Uh, what 1800 late 1800s Mm -hmm. yep i mean the thought of the amount of people they reached is astronomical it'd be like the equivalent i would think of you and i reaching a billion people today on social
1: media it is. It, it defies logic because you would think with technology, you know, we would have the upper hand. But, man, uh, some of these men, I, I, the, the only thing I can attribute it to is it really was divine. Yes. It really was divine. You know, Spurgeon and, and just just talk about his voice. I mean, it is reported that his voice was so powerful. He could preach to an audience of over 20,000 people and be heard without the aid of a microphone. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, so, and and uh, Wesley and Whitfield and uh, so many of these, these giants. Yeah, so I, I try to, in the very beginning of each chapter, as you know, I try to talk about the astounding impact these men had and the great exploits they did for the Lord and how God used them, because that's really the point. The point is not to degrade them or to put them down. It's just to show that despite they had these blind spots, Or these shocking beliefs especially for their time god used them and so if he used them (coughs) despite their imperfections right yeah none of them had immaculate perception all right well neither do we and neither does anybody who's writing books today or doing twitter or facebook (laughs) you know we all see things through a glass darkly we're all growing let's cut each other some slack because even the greats didn't see everything perfectly. So I'm going to
0: hit a couple of these that I thought were fun. We can talk about them uh, as we kind of wrap up the show, but I thought this was fun. Okay. So one that I highlighted uh, that you put Spurgeon was never ordained and didn't believe that ordination was important. He was also against the use of honorific titles.
1: Yeah. Now, that was shocking in his day. And that would be me- shocking to many modern Christians. Now I actually agree with him on this. <laughs> I, do. I, I do.
0: That's why I highlighted. I thought it was great because I thought uh, the way we uh, put people on a pedestal, I think, is absolutely just stupid with lack of a better word. But it is. I think.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's, let's put it this way. It's not biblical. Okay. Um, And, and I think Spurgeon was right on this. You know, Jesus said, he said it very clearly. uh, Do not call any man father. Do not call any man teacher. Do not call, you know, he was talking about honorific titles. You know, you only have one father and you only have one teacher. Right. Well, today, you know, there are men that would give their arm, Okay, just to have a title, just to be called apostle or prophet, all right, or pastor or reverend. And you never see any titles being used in the first century when you read the New Testament. Paul never called himself the Apostle Paul. He would say, Paul, a sent one, all right, Uh, an apostle, a sent one. That's the, the actual meaning of the word, not the Apostle Paul. See, the Apostle Paul is a title. Um, There were shepherds in the first century, but they were never called, you know, Pastor Joe or Pastor Tom or Reverend, the great reverend, the great bishop, reverend, apostolic, et cetera, et cetera. And so these titles that are so common today and that people would give their teeth for um, are not only unbiblical, but Spurgeon, you know, just railed against it he just railed against it. And uh, I have quotes from all of these writers when we talk about their shocking beliefs, but, um, no, that's one I actually agree with, <laughs> but, uh, a lot of Christians raise their eyebrows at this. And uh, even people who, uh, you know, applaud Spurgeon and, and view him as a hero, uh, they'd have trouble with what he said about this. Um, and then of course the one that I always find, uh, funny is, uh, He smoked cigars
0: to the glory of God. Yes, Yes, I enjoyed uh, it. That was hilarious.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, And he was was actually cut to ribbons by the Christians of his day, even through newspapers, right, the modern Facebook, um, because he smoked cigars, and he believed that smoking cigars was okay. And um, it's reported – I I don't have a quote for this one, but it's reported that someone said – so you believe that you can smoke cigars to the glory of God, which he did say. And then, and he said, yes, uh, as long as they're in moderation. And, and uh, so the person said, well, what's, what's moderation when it comes to cigar smoking? And he's alleged to have said smoking three cigars at once would be immoderate. <laughs> <laughs> I just find obviously he's being antagonizing. <laughs> yes. and his
0: humor. I mean, that that would really just make some people angry, but I'm like, You know, the thing that I have friends, I personally don't drink out of conviction, but I have a lot of friends that do. I could care less, Mm -hmm. but I always think about the scripture when, and this is, you know, a hot topic for people, obviously, when you even bring it up. And and I always think about when in the scripture talks about the, the kingdom of heaven is not about eating or drinking. Mm-hmm. And and you talk about when Spurgeon said within moderation Everybody has a personal conviction You need to walk that out with the Lord And you need yeah. to not worry about putting it on other people If that means having a beer or not having a beer Or smoking a cigar or not smoking a cigar When you get so hell-bent on persecuting people And ripping them to shreds
1: because they did or didn't do something You have a love problem Oh, absolutely And also there's there's a bit of hypocrisy there too um, you know, one man said, Christians get very angry at other Christians who sin differently than they do. <laughs> I like that one. That's yeah. Good. Uh, yeah. And that's in the book too. I got, I got a lot of, uh, wonderful quotes by people along this line. There's another story. Uh, I can't find documentation for it, so I don't know if it actually happened, but, uh, there's a story between, uh, moody deal moody and charles spurgeon and it goes like this one uh on one occasion charles spurgeon had deal moody preach in his church and so deal moody knowing that spurgeon was a cigar smoker uh during his sermon began to rail against tobacco (laughs) (laughs) and so he's you know he's just skewering tobacco and the evils of tobacco and when it was over Spurgeon approached the podium and he he thanked Moody thank you for your sermon and by the way Mr. Moody Spurgeon allegedly said this I will put down my cigars when you put down your fork because Moody was a heavy guy he was overweight yes that was good but it makes the point right
0: Oh, that is hilarious, man. uh, Props to him for saying that, dude. That's okay. So, let's jump into Moody real quick. I like Moody, um, that was fun. Okay, so, one thing that uh, two things that caught my attention that I did not know, uh, it said he was very poorly educated, uh, which I thought was interesting, uh, because he made such a massive impact, shows what the Lord can do, and the other thing that I thought was interesting as well is um and i'm just going to read a quote from your book a comment that he made this is a great many people say i don't preach on the terrors of religion and he says i don't want to don't want to scare men into the kingdom of god and he was uh talking about the criticism that he got for not preaching on hell
1: yes that's right well he believed in hell but he didn't preach on it much at all and uh you know lots of Lots of Christians would have apoplexy over that, you know, because you got to preach on hell, but Moody, you know, he didn't. And, um, that was something he got skewered for. Um, he also was, I don't know if you're going to talk about this as your second thing, but he also was, um, blacklisted and not even invited to many conferences because he had a friend, uh, Drummond was his name. He had a friend who believed in evolution, okay? And this was a Christian man who believed in theistic evolution, which, by the way, C.S. Lewis did as well. Some folks don't know that. Um, But, you know, Moody believed that this guy, Henry Drummond, was one of the most Christ-like men he ever met. And yet he believed in evolution. and, And because of his friendship with this man and because he let this man speak at some of his conferences, you know he was horribly treated by Christians. He was um, crucified, basically, because of his association. And this is another problem that we have. You, you just said it to me not long ago, um, I think, during our conversation, that you invited a gentleman who uh, many of your readers disagreed with. Yeah. And so they skewered you because of it. Well, that's guilt by association. You know, hey, look, last time I checked, Jesus hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with tax collectors. He hung out with riffraff. You know, I was just thinking, I, this you is know, <laughs> a,
0: does that make Jesus a pimp? I've never <laughs> even thought about that. So if Jesus hung out with prostitutes, does that make him a pimp?
1: That would really raise some feathers. But that's, yeah,
0: exactly. That's the point. It's, it's just stupid.
1: Yeah, it, it, it is. And, uh, you know, Moody didn't agree with evolution. He didn't believe in evolution. But he had a friend who did. So what? Goodness me, if you are going to only associate with people who believe in your doctrines right down the line, uh, you know, I don't know how many people you're going to be able to hang out with. You know what I'm saying? Because all of us disagree on something uh, if we talk through it enough and we get to know each other well enough. And yeah. so that, that's really what this book is about. I mean, it calls out some of the hypocritical things that we do as believers. It's, it's a call for civility, and it does it in, in sort of a unique way by showing uh, how the heroes didn't get everything right. And, yes, I do talk about heresy in the book, and I do talk about false teachers. And, uh, you know, one of the problems, John, is I guess, you know, there there are false teachers, okay? But false teachers are people who don't know the Lord. Yeah. I mean, they're not—according to the New Testament, If a, if there is a false teacher, this is a pretender— there's no evidence that they're a Christian at all, and their motives are evil, you know? These are, these are evil, wicked people. And here's one of the great marks of a false teacher. A lot of Christians don't know this, but if you study your New Testament, you'll find out uh, that this is true. One of the marks of a false teacher is that they attack the true servants of God. Mm. All the false teachers in the first century attacked Paul Tarsus and slandered him. Now, that really should turn the pyramid upside down, because if you see somebody attacking other Christians and other servants of the Lord, that's one of the marks of what a false teacher does. Uh, But I get into it more in the book and uh, and also in some other interviews I've done as well, go deeper. But uh, anyway.
0: Um, hey, I just thought of a really fun idea. We should we should put on a conference with all the bipolar, like the total opposite people of beliefs and stuff, bringing different speakers and just bring them all in one deal and see what kind of turnout we get. That would be really fun because it would really <laughs> it would really twist some re- religious
1: beliefs. I think that would be hilarious. Well, my only response to that is. Satan will be hosting the ice capades in hell before that actually happens. (laughs) (laughs) Meaning that, that, uh, meaning that most people, uh, would not be willing to commit suicide off that bridge. Uh, but, but I, I actually would love that idea. I think that would be a phenomenal idea. And, and, you know, I think God's people would learn a lot. It's just getting those people in the room together to, to be willing to do that. That would be the trick, but Hey, John, you do you do I that? I'm up in. For it. I'm yeah, in. I'm actually
0: up for it. You really got my brain thinking. Okay, so we're going to end the show on this, and this is uh, well. You get parting thoughts as we leave, but out of your book, there's one last thing that I found fascinating that really resonated with me. It was Billy Graham. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm reading from your book. This uh, this uh, quote was made in 1965, so we're talking what 40, 50, 59 years ago. Okay, he says. Multitudes of Christians within the church are moving toward the point where they may reject the institution that we call the church. They're beginning to turn to more simplified forms of worship. They are hungry for a personal and vital experience with Jesus Christ, and they want the heartwarming personal faith. Unless the church quickly recovers its authoritative biblical message we may witness the spectacular of millions of Christians going outside the institutional church to find spiritual food. Mm, dude, that was
1: awesome, and that was fifty-nine years ago. I know it. I know it. And you know, I wish I had seen that quote when I wrote Pagan Christianity because I would have put that in the very beginning because that's really the summarizing statement of of what that book is and the follow up, Reimagining Church. And uh, and the other books in the series, because we're living in that time right now. Yes. And uh, yeah, he foresaw that so many years ago. That was a prophetic word. No mm-hmm. question. You know, he yeah. didn't label it with prophecy you know, he didn't announce, he didn't say they'll save the Lord, but that was a prophetic word and it's come to pass. And yeah, that's, there's a lot of gems like that in the book. And by the way, just so um, your listeners will know, they can download five free chapters if they go to regrace.info, regrace.info. And, uh, and there's an interview there as well. And, you know, they can just get a, a good taste of the book for free. Um, you know, so they might enjoy that as well. And again, you know, you got to have a sense of humor to get through this because <laughs> there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of comedy in it as well. I love it. Okay. Uh, Frank,
0: why don't you tell our readers, uh, our readers, man, our listeners, yeah, you're definitely not reading this. That was awesome. I'm looking at your <laughs> book and saying readers. I love it when I do stuff like that. Um, can you tell our listeners uh, how to find you, how to get a hold of you, if they want to check out your books, have you a speaker, anything like that?
1: Yeah, one website, real simple, frankviola.org, all one word, frankviola.org, frankviola.org. And uh, they'll see that that's a blog. We have an email list. I send out an article, a challenging article every Thursday. They can get on that. There's also a podcast we just released called The Insurgents Podcast, all about the gospel of the kingdom. And I have partners on it, uh, conversation partners on it. Um, and we talk about the gospel, of the kingdom, uh, that earth shaking message that shook the first century and that's being restored today. So people may enjoy that. And then everything else, anything else that, uh, there's a YouTube channel, there's all sorts of stuff on the blog there, the books and so forth. Yeah. So that's it. Okay. I
0: almost forgot to ask you this question. Um, I always skip questions, but I never skipped this one and I almost did it. I was, I couldn't believe I did it. Okay. Frank, if you could go back to the younger you. Mm Mm-hmm can't change anything, but you're going to give the younger you advice. What wisdom would you tell yourself? And at what age?
1: Uh, 37 years old. Okay. I would say, uh, I would say Frank, the 37 year old version, uh, start a blog right now and start a podcast right now. And the reason for that is because blogs and podcasts were just starting to get noticed. This was the early years of blogs and podcasts. And uh, regrettably, I waited until I was 44 to start both. That was seven years later, you know. And So the lesson there, though, John, is when it comes to getting your message out, if you have something to say and share with others, you want to be there from the beginning if you can. Yeah. Uh and so you know I'm I have my ear to the ground, I have my hand on the pulse, the next thing that comes out in terms of getting a message out, you know, I want to be there from the beginning. And uh, and I think this applies to so many other things, the beginning of a new church, the beginning of a new work. You want to be there from the beginning uh, if you can. And so that's that's the advice I would give uh to my younger self.
0: Okay. Well, you gave yourself advice as we part from the show. What a uh, last piece of parting advice would you give the audience?
1: Uh, well, I think it would be this. Jim Rohn said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And uh, I believe that means you are the average of those five people spiritually, intellectually, financially, In every single way, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I will just adjust it a little bit. Uh, I believe that all of those five people, they don't necessarily have to be alive. So if one of those five people, say, for example, is C.S. Lewis, and you immerse yourself in everything C.S. Lewis has written, you read biographies of him, you listen to him on audio, you read every piece of writing he's done, then he would be one of those five people. And so I would just say to every person listening uh, by now, probably that's uh, John at this point, maybe two people out there listening to us. I I think I heard a lot of iPhones turn off as we were talking about uh, (laughs) pagan Christianity and so forth, but um, assess who those five people are right now in your life and adjust as needed because you will be the average of those five people that you spend the most time with. Mm,
0: Great advice. All right, Frank, let me wrap up the show. Roar Nation, thank you guys for tuning in. I love his advice, uh, especially partying advice. And that was a question I wrote down in my journal right now. Uh, Who is your five? Uh, I just wrote that to myself. And my question to you is, who is your five? Because I think the advice that Frank just gave uh, is absolutely uh, just so important because if you don't recognize that, you could be leading yourself accidentally down the wrong road so pay attention to your five that being said please check out the book regrace i really enjoyed it myself Uh, highly recommend it and also insurgents and the other books it's frank's written so go Find them, buy them, download them, do whatever. Uh, just get your hands on them. So that being said, Word Nation, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps us a lot get our word and message out there. And also, if you guys would, there's a share button when you're listening to a podcast. If you would share it with a friend, maybe two or three people that you think could uh, hear this message that would help them, please do uh, bless somebody with that. We love you guys. Remember, be real, be authentic, and be you. God bless. That's all for this episode of Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You. Be sure to go to areyoureal.org for your free questionnaire to identify your gifts and talents and how you can use them to help people become leaders and catapult them into their destiny to help others become the leaders of tomorrow. We appreciate you spending your time with
1: us and look forward to helping you reach out and revolutionize next time on Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You.